Romans 16, 16 through 27. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning, everybody. I want to say thank you again to the elders um, and to you as a church for giving me some space and some uh, extra time off during these crazy times. Um, I look forward to returning August 9th to the pulpit and, um, and being with you and uh, hopefully rejuvenated and rested and uh, a little more whole, if you will, a little more um, my full self uh, as we enter into the fall. Um, I have a letter for you uh, that's coming out this week of gratitude and prayer requests uh, to that end. So, but here we go, y'all. It is the end of Romans after a couple years of it, and I'm really excited uh, to kind of end uh, this season now and uh, see what's going to happen uh, when we return. Um, but if you're going to end this incredible letter, this, this uh, celebrated epistle, we saw last week he ended with 26 names, uh, names that, uh, that we went through a bunch of last week. And this week he adds more names, uh, five more, or he and his uh, friend Tertius, uh, who is the scribe or the, uh, the one who receives Paul's dictation. Um, they add five more names as well. And it, again, it's all around, I want to remind you, it's all around this verse of greeting one another with a holy kiss, uh, reminding us that what he is about to say is bev- born of an incredible holy affection, a set-apart kind of love. So you end the opus that is the book of Romans, a book that Luther says can never be read or considered too much or too well, 
Or as Sam, Samuel uh, Coleridge unabashedly says, is the profoundest piece of writing in existence. That's a tall order. You end this with three things. A warning to watch out, a promise to persevere, and a blessing to bear under. A warning, a promise, and a blessing. As we talk about all these things, and as they, wake, they make their way through us with these 33-odd names, um, uh, they make their way to the people of Redeemer as well. I don't want you to forget the similarities between these 33 names that end this letter and the entire spectrum of types of people that are here. John Stott reminds us of the absolutely countercultural prominence of the women in Paul's ministry. Stott also reminds us that, that the other names include wealthy philanthropists, blue blood royalty, slave names, which include freed slaves, which include civic servants or civic slaves, which were literal slaves trusted to do the important work and the bidding of the city, and house slaves as well. Again, both free and still enslaved. The names Tertius and Quartos literally mean third and fourth, which means there was a primus and a secundus, which is the first and second. These are, these are names of the order of the slaves' importance in a household. And that's just talking about all the socioeconomic differences that exist in these 33 names. The ethnic differences are wild. You have culturally Hebraic Jews and Grecian Jews, which are very different than each other in most cases. You have Greeks and Romans and other Gentiles. You have people who span what is now modern day Libya, the Balkans, Greece, Turkey, Iran, and of course Israel. Not to mention that Timothy's mom was Jewish and his dad was Greek. It's a Heinz 57 church of ethnicities and language and cultures and indigenous ethical practices that are being brought together. We've already, we've already heard about the festivals uh, uh, and, the, and, the, and the food debates, the diet and days debates. But don't forget the philosophical, the, the, the political or even partisan subgroups of people who are being called to live under Jesus. You have zealots. They, were, they, were, they carried their knives with them. They were the, the often uh, violent protesters of their days. And then you have some people who are like something equivalent to loyalists or Tories of the king, who were the law and order camp, who, who valued the, the, the status quo in the, in the civic peace. It was somewhere between a melting pot and a tossed salad, right? It was a mess. It was a beautiful mess, but it was a mess. And this is all before the modern and very pervasive movement of multi-ethnic diversity and inclusion training. This is a Jesus-born church full of diverse people. The Jesus-born church of this is, in, is, is our starting place. It's our centering place, and it is our end. It is about Jesus and his good news. Paul calls it my gospel. I love that. That he, he's not ashamed of it, or, or in that it is for both Jew and Gentile, right? The glorious doctrine of salvation, the Romans road with all its richness, is a template and a fuel for the beloved people of God 
whose purpose is to bring about from this hodgepodge group of disparate and dissimilar people under Christ and on mission. Remember, the purpose is to, to, to get this church strong enough to reach all the way to Spain, the ends of the earth in his day. I review this because I want you to remember Paul's purpose here and to remind us of his purpose in us too through Romans. It is the glory of Jesus manifest in the unity of church of the church on mission for the gospel. It is the glory of Jesus manifest in the unity of the church on mission for the gospel. And when I, when I go through these 33 names, and I, I want this to be a place of exhale for you, for us at Redeemer. We represent a large spectrum of philosophical, economic, social, regional, and political places on that spectrum. Though I don't think we have any monarchists. It's not cool to be a monarchist and an American. But what I want to say to this is that this is the normal Christian life. The Bible does not have homogeneity as, as normal in the New Testament. That the places, our families of origins, our life experience, our struggles, our victories, our losses, our stories, our names and zip codes prove the power of the resurrection of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus, the good news. If we just take a cross-section of churches that Redeemer is, the church that Redeemer is and who we've planted. We have it all. We have socialists. We have libertarians, conservatives, liberals, progressives, traditionalists. We have people who question the goodness of capitalism and celebrate that it is the best. And then if you sub any other isms, we'll have a similar spectrum. And then trade isms for regions or family of origins or the ethical practices with which we grew up on, and it gets just as wild. I think you, I told you this before that my extended family, uh, uncles and, um, and aunts and uh, grand, grands on both sides, that we have a card carrying communist, a Tea Party founder in their state, a still wannabe hippie semi anarchist, a radical individualist libertarian. We have an original organizer of Democrazia Cristiana, which is the entity that opposed Mussolini and got him in a concentration camp, and my Italian grandmother who died as a monarchist. She just wanted a queen or a king. This is why I call myself a radical centrist. Every single one of them claims Christ as their Lord, and yes, our family discussions are very interesting. But it's these kinds of communities, these 33 named representatives or 600 or 500 named representatives at Redeemer to whom Paul is writing. And I want you to exhale that that's normal. And yet, he's warning us. And so we have an inhale to take, to take a breath, because he's warning us to watch out. Let me read to you. Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Such persons do not serve Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery deceive the hearts of the naive. These are hard words. Avoid divisive people 
who create unbiblical obstacles and manufacture doctrine. And he says that there's something under all that. A desire to deceive and a delight in their own vanity, in their own appetites. Now, you could take this caution to just, to mean that he just wants us to stay silent about any divisive issues or any differences that we might have. But that's not a great take, because his entire letter and his entire life is often allowed, even brash, about issues that separate us. He, in this book itself, in the book of Romans, generalizes about Greeks and, and Jews and other Gentiles and how we must deal with the differences under the reign of Jesus. Paul has, in other passages and other places, opposed people to their faces. Jesus has said that he has come to divide families at times. So it's got to mean something else. Then there's that other strange part about the statement, to listen to those, to not listen to those who teach contrary to what you've been taught. Now you could have the take that this is, that Paul's telling them that whatever they've been taught needed no correction. That they already had down pat and they just need to stick with what they know. But that doesn't even make any sense to the letter either because, um, because Romans itself is a sophisticated, comprehensive, technically beautiful theology of correction and exhortation and admonition and rebuking and exhorting about what they believed, about what they've been taught, and how they've been living accordingly. See, what Paul is doing in these words is saying that we must return to the gospel. Avoid those who are trying to avoid, avoid those who are trying to divide, not those with whom we have differences. Paul is saying Jesus has brought us under the reign of grace by his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his reign. By grace, we escape the right and just judgment of God. And instead, we receive his delight. We receive his gift of rightness or righteousness. All of us who call upon his name, every one of us who calls upon his name, all 33 of them, all 500 of us who call upon his name, the reign brings about a new humanity where people who were Jew and Greek and all over the place now come into faith. The obedience that faith brings. The benediction says that the nations would be brought to faithful obedience. And the gospel is this, that Jesus is the Lord and the Savior. And when we repent and come under his reign, he brings us into right relationship with him, a loyalty to him and to our brothers and sisters, all because of his great love. So this warning is not about those who discuss or work through or return to the Lord together about the differences that exist. Those differences are assumed in the body of Christ. That's not creating division. It's uncovering difference for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of our unity on mission to bring that gospel to bear to our neighbors. Paul says he's warning those who are intending to divide, who exploit divisive, non-biblical differences for their own gain. 
They become not ambassadors of the gospel that heals and works through differences, but become ambassadors of the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, to, act, to actually divide us. Now, we have to ask the Lord for discernment here. I'm going to ask you to, to um, address some of our differences with one another. And if you hear me wrongly, it could sound like I'm advocating for the creation of division. I am not. I'm advocating for the healing of the differences that divide us that already exist. I'm asking for us to apply this passage and passages like, John's, uh, the, like Jesus' prayer in John 17. And those two differences, creating division or uncovering our differences for the sake of the gospel and dealing with them in love, are diametrically different, both in their inception and their conclusion or their desired end. And yet, as we pursue this... <laughs> We can't be fooled. The human heart is deceitful, mine and yours. And so we can be going down the, the, the trail of, of wanting to move uh, for healing of our differences and, and be right there for the sake of his glory and the gospel itself. And we can move right to creating division for the sake of our own vainglory, our own selfish ambitions very quickly. And so we need to desperately beg the Spirit and ask our brothers and sisters to help us stay in that river of the gospel uncovers our differences for the sake of a united church on mission. That's why I'm so thankful for what he does next when he starts talking about this. He starts talking about a promise of, and an encouragement of perseverance. For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil. I love that. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, our feet. He moves from mourning to promise. Some commentators actually wonder if Paul is being a bit ironic or even disingenuous. Is he buttering up a bit about telling, you know, how much of a, um, uh, no, their obedience is known and his rejoicing over them, you know, because they were kind of a train wreck, right? But I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's the case at all. Because Paul's not just looking at the state that they are in. He's actually looking at them with an end times, an eschatological hope. He sees them as not just as who they are, but who they're becoming, the promise that they will persevere to the end under the reign of grace, under the Spirit's work in them. He's not just seeing them as they are, but who they're becoming in Christ. The tumult of differences are real, but there is a holy unity that he's working on. And it's promised because there's the destruction of his and our truest enemy. He's looking at the purified church bought with the very blood of Jesus. That's what he's doing as an encouragement to us. So here's what I'm asking you to do, Redeemer. Every one of you every single one of us. I'm asking you to go for it. To have a thousand conversations that pursue the unity that we have in Jesus as far as our disunity is found.
And my prayer is that as we pursue these differences, it will allow us not just to endure our differences, but to even begin to celebrate them when we can. And we can do this, my friends, because Jesus crushes Satan's skull under our feet. I'm going to be out a month. I receive this as a lavish gift and blessing from our elders and from you, but also a divine window to answer an urgent, necessary, and providential call to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil, the defeated devil, and to fight our true enemies and not one another in this time. To fight for our delight, the holy kiss that we're to greet each other with, even among, especially because of our differences. I'm asking us to lay down our anger, to lay down our suspicions, our pain, our confusion, our arrogance, our stories that we tell about others in our own heads, our fears, our complacency, all of it that we all have, and to enter fully into what I kid about as the gospel cage match, right? To get in there and wrestle it out. To risk it all for the sake of Jesus, our eternally unifying King, who's brought a unified church to bear in the world. And this is not just for the sake that we'll just like all get along and sing kumbaya. It is for our sake of our witness to the world that they would see in a world of utter tumult and division, God's church can be united under his reign. And for the sake of living into the love that he has for each of us, each of us, even with whom the brother and sister that we disagree, we are eternally united in Jesus. We're just working it out till then. Now, I'm not a fool. Well, I, I can't be a fool, but I'm not a fool about this. And I'm not a romantic about this. I'm not even an optimist about this. I am trying to imprison myself to the hope that this is true about what God has done in his church. The reality that Satan's work of division and killing and destroying and wreaking havoc on his church will be met with the force of Jesus's power under our feet. I know many of you wonder if there are safe places to work such things out. But I want to remind you that you and I actually have found safe places to talk about all this stuff, but typically they become echo chambers of our own opinions. But now we must go to not as safe places, Redeemer, to one another who disagree with us and have those courageous conversation that love requires. And here's the really bizarre part. Your life is hidden in Christ, and so is your brothers and sisters at Redeemer. So actually, there is no safer place in the entire cosmos than to have these conversations with one another. It's a double portion of safety because you're both there. So go for it. It's not safe for sin, but it is safe to live out the love we're called to. So go for it. 
I do not want to erase our differences. I, I don't. I want to get a big, the fattest Sharpie in the world. I don't want to erase anything. What I want to do is draw the connections and trace the lines of love that our Lord has made between us because of his great love for us and his redeeming work to bring a unified church on mission for the glory of the gospel. Now, we have to be really honest about expectations here. There are times, in the scripture even, where God's people pursue a strategy or a vision or a philosophy or a mission or theological emphasis that becomes a divergent. Sometimes we go our separate ways for a season. I say for a season because even if it's a lifetime, it's a season because we're all going to be united in the end. But that's not the same thing as dividing under vainglory or in anger, or judgment, or arrogance, or selfish ambition. Look, Paul and Barnabas could not figure out what to do with John Mark together. They just couldn't. So they went their separate ways. Not in pride, but because of the urgency of a united church on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. This mission was more important than them figuring out every single pattern of their fallen and finite disagreements. And that's okay if done in love. Well, they, they weren't calling each other out and disparaging their senses of calling. That happens all the time in Scripture, but not in that situation. It was a matter of emphasis and practice, and they parted in love, actually, to return again. So go for it, my friends. I will Venmo you for every coffee you drink. I'll buy the firewood for the fire pits when you gather together at six feet apart. I'll buy your burgers, your vegan patty burger things. I'll buy kosher hot dogs for you to grill, not filet mignon or wild-caught Atlantic salmon. Salmon. I'll buy the masks and the potato salad. And I'll do it out of my own pocket right after I talk to Amanda about it after the sermon. I'm not kidding. I want there to be no excuse for these things. Look, I'm trying to repent myself as a leader here, y'all. I've, I, I think I've contributed to some of these things. I've tried so hard to be really forthright about what I believe and how it's tied to the scriptures. And I've tried to have these conversations myself, but, but somewhere in my heart I have thought, I don't know if I trust others to have these conversations. This is a failure of mine. I've tried to welcome and give space to disagreement. I've tried to do these things, but way too much on my own. I have not trust the reality that Jesus will crush the head of the servant of the of serpent under our feet. I've not let not called us for us to navigate it together. But this isn't just about my junk. It's about the beauty and glory of his Redeemer Church. One that I love and he loves, and I love with all of me and he with all of me, and he loves much more. Now we're going to try to create some structures for navigating difference, and we hope that it'll be a true, loving, truth-filled and safe place but you do not need an official church program. You have the promise and the presence of the Spirit 
of the living God, the victorious Christ, who's going to use your feet to crush the serpent's head. And then we turn to the final words of Romans. (laughs) After two years in this incredible book, he's warned us to watch out for divisive people and to avoid them. He has reminded us of the promise of Jesus to be victorious and have us participate in that victory. And now he turns to a benediction, a blessing, a blessing for us to bear under. And it starts with, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. (laughs) It's what we're going to need truckloads of grace for one another. Grace for ourselves when we fail and have to get up and try again. Trusting in the grace of Jesus for the person with whom we vehemently disagree. And so he gives this benediction of grace upon us, a good word over his church that he loves. And remember, he's actually written that he's been stalled uh, too many times from circumstances to be gathered to be back together Oh, how I hear the heart of Paul in this. I love you and I want to be with you. And here's how he responds to it all. That the grace of the Lord Jesus be over you so that the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit might be manifest in the world. He writes this. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of mystery that has kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring out the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore, Through Jesus Christ, amen. Go for it. Go for it. Enter the cage match and keep wrestling with each other in love until Jesus wins and we all repent. You are the beloved of Jesus. You are sustained by the spirit of the living God. And the Father oversees it all to bring about his purposes in the world and to the glory of all three. Avoid divisions. Persevere in the promise. Remember that grace is with you and that it's all not even about us, but for the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll see you in August.